Good morning, West Los Angeles. Amen. Thank you for your encouragement. Uh, thanks. That's enough. Thank you. <laughs> you know, words words really can't express what it is just to stand before you again. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I wanted to stand up here while Tammy's sharing good news, just so I can actually stand here and look at you. And uh, you know, kind of catch some of that uh, just love that you pour out of my wife. It's not that I don't feel it, but I just know she deserves it more than I do. So uh, I just want to stand here and uh, kind of bask in that. But we are really grateful to be back. And you know, there's a. I have to be honest with you. We we have to count more than one place on earth home. It's just the way our life has been. But the, the deepness of what we feel about West Los Angeles, it's hard to express. So true. Uh, you know, here our son had his first birthday. And uh, he grew to, I mean, he grew to be almost nine years old before we left, which is pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, that, all that life shared with you guys and just how just connected we all are. It's funny, uh, David was saying that, uh, you know, he's been known to be a little, like, seen as a little part of me or a little representative of me, I was thinking, well, you know, I love Dave for his own qualities, etc. But then when he shared that they talked about one Bible verse for an hour and a half, I thought, yeah, I can see it. That, that shows up. Yeah. You know, and, and Anthony says how much he trusts us. But I was thinking how much we trusted them to uh, invite them over and want them to be, uh, you know, working with the leadership of the West Side here. It's, it's, it's just interesting how it all works together because the love that God has given us is reciprocal. And uh, we, are, we just count it a pleasure that you are our family and we know you're our family. We have uh, this, that relationship with you guys. So we love you. Here's Tammy going to share great. a little bit. It's great. It is. It's so good to be back. We miss you guys. We pray for you. Thank God for Facebook. We just, we totally miss you. It is so good to see you. Uh, our family came here. We've been here a few times, actually. We were here way back when in 1991 for a little bit. And uh, out of here, planted the Moscow Church. Thank you for your support of that, for launching that. Um, and then we came back again in 1999 until 2007. And we're thrilled to have our daughter baptized here. Um, Thank you for that. Thank you for loving us and helping her come to faith. That was uh, six years ago, almost. Where's Britton now? She's, um, by the way, I'm just giving you a little personal history. I hope you don't mind. But Britton graduated from university this year. She graduated from uh, University College London, which uh, it's so funny. It's UCL in England, and everybody goes, who's American? You mean UCLA, right? And we go, actually, no, it's UCL, the fifth best university in the world, but that's okay. UCL. And uh, that was totally God. That was, she has no idea how blessed she is. That was just amazing. So Britain is now in, uh, next slide, is now in uh, Kiev, Ukraine. That's her younger brother, Justin, next to her. And uh, they have, uh, Britain is now working for the church in Kiev, which is amazing. The church there is two and a half thousand. And I'm so happy that she can be there as an intern with the campus ministry and uh, it's just really great. We have, she came from a tiny little campus ministry in the U.K. and uh, is really getting a great experience now in Kiev. So we're really happy about that. Next slide. Justin goes to school every day looking like that. Wow. Can you believe it? 
He's actually in high school in year seven. They start high school in year seven. And um, we are last family members. The next page. We still have our dog, Samara. And you see we get some snow in England. So if you want to see some snow, come visit us. And then uh, next slide, we have a new family member, a little puppy that everybody loves. And I had to show you Andy's parents. Oh, you can't really see, but they're kissing there. That's Andy's mom and dad. And uh, dad is 87 and mom is 82. And they just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary right here. So, and then a word about your spiritual family in, uh, in Birmingham. This next slide is the University of Birmingham, not Alabama, but England. And uh, it is actually one of the, it is the oldest red brick university, which gave rise to the Ivy League universities, which we have here in the States. So this was the, the granddaddy. And um, we just started a ministry there. Uh, I'll tell you a little more about that in a second. But um, it has been very interesting, very challenging in the UK. That's why we moved. You know, when we loved our life here among you, we absolutely loved, loved being with you. It was, it was wonderful. It was great. But, you know, at, at age 47, um, with two teenage kids almost, we left here and went to the UK and to Europe because we just felt the churches there were so needy. And we felt so blessed here. You know, here in our group, about 100, 500 people here and 13 full-time staff at the time. Wow. Then we go, you know, back to Europe, and there's nobody in the full-time ministry. Nobody trained in all of the country of France. Nobody in Greece. Nobody in, you know, almost anywhere in Western Europe. And uh, the U.K. was depleted, as you know. And this young man, Jason, gosh, it's so sorry, sorry you can't see the slides. He's a lovely guy. His name's Jason Carter. He was the first teenager baptized in our little church in Birmingham in nine years when we came. He got baptized about a year after we were there. Uh, this is the next one, Kimberly. And if you go on, and Jemima, she actually, she had a role in Harry Potter 5. You'd see her if you turn on the show. And then next, and then uh, more baptisms and more baptisms. And now the church, our little church, um, we planted the campus ministry a year and a half ago, there was no students. Now we have nine in our little group, which is great. And uh, next slide. I just have to say thank you to the West Region. Uh, you have supported missions so faithfully for so many years in some really difficult places like the Middle East. Please continue. We've been beneficiaries of your generosity, of your prayers for many years in Russia, in uh, Scandinavia, in uh, uh, the Middle East and now in the UK. We're just so grateful to be partners with you. Keep praying for us, please. And I just wanted to share with you, you know, this, one of our greatest joys in our ministry in Birmingham, our church is small. It's 101 members. It was about 59 on paper when we arrived. So we're happy with the growth and uh, it's, you know, need your prayers, need your help. But Hope Youth Corps is one of the joys of our life there. We've tried to do it every year since we've been there. And one of the greatest miracles, we keep telling the kids, come back and help us. Come back and help us. Because they have the faith, you know. And lo and behold, next slide, this guy Joey from one of the churches in Florida, he says, I'm coming back. And don't you know, no funding, no nothing. He funded himself, came over and worked for five months free as an intern. Just absolutely amazing. Um, and there's some great news from all around the UK. The London Church grew for the first time this last year since 2001. It's reunited. There's people coming on staff. There's the young kids, the kingdom kids are getting baptized. It's very good. We definitely would love your help. So come visit and stay. <laughs> but next slide, please know we do love you with all of our hearts. It's great to be back. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you.
I do apologize that I did have to take Tammy with me when I left three and a half years ago. But as you can well imagine, it's just not the same without her. You know, it really is uh, just a privilege to be able to speak to you this Sunday morning. And I'm just always grateful for the opportunity to open up God's Word. I stand in awe of God's Word. Uh, I'm soon 53, and I've been studying through. I actually read the Bible through my first time. I was eight years old. And so, you know, it's been a few years of reading the Bible. But the thing that's amazing to me is that it's so deep, that the picture's so big, that you, you never tire of reading it, of digging into it, of finding out what God wants for us. And uh, it's always fun when someone sort of assigns to you a task, uh, you know, a sermon title or whatever, because it makes me think of sort of what I'm studying right now, what kind of things I'm thinking about. And I hope these uh, video clips will come out. But what I want to do is actually, as I read through some of the passages of John, rather than me read it, I thought I'd show you a really good video representation that's been done of the Gospel of John. And so we can look at these short passages and actually see them. So let's just begin this then uh, with John 1, 1 to 5. After we wake up the DVD drive. A little sound problems here. Can we run that one again? <laughs> I made it hard for them. I apologize for that. I ended up leaving the soundtrack in just the title page, so they have to keep switching the volume on and off. Sorry about that. But uh, are we going to be able to get this to run? If not, I will read it. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the old-fashioned method still does work, you know, the low-tech Okay, this is the beginning of John's Gospel. And it begins with this phrase, in the beginning. Yes, they're going to have to keep turning that down. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And what I want us to just think about a moment is, what was it like in the beginning? 
What was it like before there was any universe created? What was it like before there was any human history whatsoever? There wasn't a single person, as we understand human beings, not a single one, one alive. The human race had not yet begun. In fact, God just began to create. Something amazing was taking place. And before time, God had a plan of what was going to happen. It, this is what's amazing. It's, it's hard for us to get our heads around this sometimes, that God knew how it was going to end before it started. But He did. And the thing that needs to impress us about that is, God knew before He began the human race, He knew what it was going to cost Him to save the human race. In other words, before He even began to create, God knew that man would, in the end, mankind would turn away from Him. God knew that the only way to actually have an eternal relationship with Him would be for Him to offer man forgiveness at a level beyond understanding. That He would offer man forgiveness of sin and man would not need then to pay the consequence of his sin. Now many of John's readers would have immediately recognized this opening phrase in the beginning since it takes them back to the first book of the Bible. And let's just go there for a moment. Genesis chapter 1. John chose us absolutely on purpose. The parallels are amazing. Because John was trying to get them to go back to the beginning, to rethink what the creation was all about. Now who thinks the creation's impressive? I'm impressed. You know, and it speaks every day to me. I mean, just just going outside, when it's sunny and beautiful, it speaks. Now, it only speaks to me in Birmingham that way about once a week, but it speaks. But, you know, when it's rainy and cold and windy, it also speaks. And, and no matter what's going on outside, it speaks to me. When it's cloudy and dark, it speaks. When it's sunny, it speaks. When the stars are shining, it speaks God has created this most incredible world. And look what it says here in Genesis 1. We'll start in verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And, then, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You know, it's interesting. We read in this, we see immediately the idea of light comes to the, comes to the fore. That God created everything and then on that first day of creation, God said, let there be light. And if we look through the six days of creation, what's interesting about them is there's really two things that God keeps creating. He keeps creating light and life. And if you look at the days of creation, it just it shows how clear this is. Day one, light's created. Day two, the sky was created. How does the sky work? It does two things for us. It traps sunlight, deflects it, reflects it. It makes this blue, beautiful sky. It'd be pretty, pretty interesting if we just saw the sun up there and then black. And the sun moved across the sky. Instead, we have this beautiful blue sky. It refracts the light, and we have daylight because of the sky. 
Much easier on your eyes than just the sun through no atmosphere. The, the atmosphere also collects the heat from the sun. And so the atmosphere is doing something very important, but it's all to do with light. Day three, vegetation's created. Day four, the sun and moon are created. Day five, sea life and birds. Day six, animal life. And then men and women. It says that God created mankind in his image. Male and female, he created them. And we see then in the creation this power of God. But it's all about light and life. Because before that it was darkness. It was emptiness. It was void. It was formless. And God did something amazing. And it's so amazing that even to this day it speaks to us. It proclaims something about God. Look over in Psalm 19 for a moment. Psalm 19. I want us to just get this feeling of what is laying behind John chapter 1. So Psalm 19, we'll pick this up in verse 1. I'm having a little experience of, of, of light and darkness up here, actually. It says here in, in uh, Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The creation of God speaks an incredible message. It shows us who God is. But interestingly, it's just a testimony. When you see the creation, you still don't see God. You see power. Romans 1.20 says, and I'll just quote this, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. Now that's cool. His invisible qualities have been clearly seen. But how are they seen? They're being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. The creation testifies to the presence of an almighty, powerful God so well that in fact no one walking the planet with eyes to see and ears to hear is without excuse. The testimony is clear. And yet we can see that God exists we can see there must be something greater than us because we didn't make this place. This place was here before we got, we got here. And it's going to be here after we leave. It's not up to us. God has made this world. But still, it's not a complete revelation of who he is. You know, looking a little further in Psalm 19, it goes on to say in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Interestingly, we have light again. That, that the Word of God, the Spirit speaking through other people, gives us a message from God. But it's still, again, a witness. It's a testimony. It's not us seeing God. 
And see, all of this, it brings us back to John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, something amazing is taking place. He is describing the creation. Oh, oh thank you, James. Wow, that's a bright one. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, something amazing is taking place. Because Jesus is the light and the life of this world. That's who God made him to be. But it says also, he is the word. He is the logos. You've heard this before. Logos is, in the Greek language, it's a word for something that is said, for speech. But it goes back even deeper. It's about an idea. It's about a concept. Logos is even the thought that you have before you speak it. You know, before you speak something, you have to think it, right? Usually. It's, it's a good practice to kind of think about it before you say it. But the truth is, sometimes we'll, we try to claim, that's not what I meant to say. That's not what I was thinking. Jesus would uh, disagree with that. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? But see, what we have with the appearance of Jesus is something completely different than anything we had seen before, than, than the mankind had seen before. What we have is God himself bringing us a message. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. You know, Genesis 1 and John 1, they have many similarities. One is this focus about it's the story of the beginning. The other is explaining sort of the, what light and life are about. But see, the creation is just something to teach us. It's not God's eternal truth. This creation that we're part of won't last forever. Only God is eternal. And only through the sacrifice of Jesus can we also share in that eternal nature. Only through Christ can we have eternal life. So John, and there's another parallel interesting too with the two uh, scriptures. In Genesis 1, it says God created, and then the next verse, verse 2 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, and we're introduced to God in the Spirit. But what happens in John is that we're introduced now to God in the flesh. Now, I'm very grateful that God is in this universe in His Spirit. That through the Spirit, God is everywhere. And do you realize that God is outside this universe? That God is so big that He's outside this universe. He created this universe. Now, I can't explain it any more than that. But I think it's helpful to simply say, here's the limit of what we understand. God's on the other side. Okay, that helps me think about who God is. So God, who's bigger than we can imagine, who's got power beyond our understanding. And I think we, we're impressed about God in this way. You know, we use words like omniscient, omnipresent, uh, what's that other one, omnipotent. That God's everywhere, that God knows everything, that God has all power. These are, these are great terms. But if that's all we think God is, we've actually missed the essence of God. Because the most important message of God is his love for us. 
And this is what Jesus so effectively communicates. You know, light is an interesting thing. When you think of outer space, do you think outer space has light? Or do we talk about the darkness of space? See, the problem with space isn't lack of light. It's lack of something to reflect the light. It's full of light. Between us and the sun, it's just full of light. But with nothing to reflect it, the light's not visible. Jesus came so that we could have light. One difference in these two passages is that when God created the light, then it was evening and morning, and it was the first day, and then, then there was the evening of the second day. In other words, in the creation, light cycles. Light goes dark. It goes darkness, light, darkness, light. We call these days. It's how we keep track of time. We're supposed to sleep at night. We don't always do that. But there's a cycle that God give, gives us. If we follow that cycle, it'll help us be healthy. But see, it says with Jesus that the light, look in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Some translations has not overcome it. When the day dawned with Jesus, there's no night. When the, when the light of Jesus came into this world, it will never be extinguished. And what's amazing, amen. And so this light is a message. You know, it's interesting we're still just describing the phenomena, but we're still not getting to the heart of it. What is this life? What is this light? We'll try the next clip. If these aren't real visible, we'll just forget the clips. But let's try the next one and see if it, it works. Wake up, DVD drive. God sent his messenger a man named John, who came to tell people about the light so that all should hear the message and believe. He himself was not the light. He came to tell about the light. This was the real light, the light that comes into the world and shines on all people. He came to his own country, but his own people did not receive him. Some, however, did receive him and believed in him, so he gave them the right to become God's children. They did not become God's children by natural means, that is, by being born as the children of a human father. God himself was their father. The Word became a human being, and full of grace and truth, lived among us. We saw his glory the glory which he received as the Father's only Son. John spoke about him. This 
talking about what I said. He comes after me. But he is greater than I am. Because he existed before I was born. Out of the fullness of his grace, he has blessed us all, giving us one blessing after another. God gave the law through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is the same as God and is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You know, let's go ahead and just raise up the lights again, and we'll, uh, we'll read the scripture and let your imaginations picture what's going on. Just so, in a lesson about light, I just hate it all to be so dark. But, uh, you know, there's some very important things that God said in John's witness right here about who Jesus is. He says, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And then we have this little story about John the Baptist, he's not the light. He was just a witness to the light. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. And then verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only who is at the father's side has made him known. Jesus is how we know God. The creation proclaims him, and his word reveals things about him. But Jesus is how we know him, how we can actually understand the heart of God, how we can have a relationship with God. And isn't it easier to think about Jesus than this God beyond all of our understanding, outside every frame of reference that we possibly have? Isn't it easier to think about a man who walked this earth? Someone who knew life just the way that we know it and was able to speak from his own human experience divine truth from God. Jesus is the light. Let's look at a couple of other scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 to 3. It says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. See, this begins to open up a little more of our understanding of who God is, of who Jesus was. That Jesus came and he's the exact representation of God. But as you look at his life, you realize he's not omnipresent. He wasn't everywhere. He was a body just like us. He didn't know everything. They asked him when he was going to come back again. He says, I don't know. You know, oh, there's something else happening back there. (laughs) Okay. He said he didn't he didn't know when the sun, when he was coming back. He didn't know everything. And he didn't have his own power, even the power to heal was something that came to him from God. And so what we have in Jesus 
is an exact representation of God. Without omnipresence, without omnipotence, without uh, omniscience, what we have is God who loves. What we have is the heart of God. And see, God is love. He's all those other things. But most importantly, He is love. And Jesus came to show us what that love is. You know, so far in John, we have three L's, thanks to the Greek language. It would be a W and two L's, but due to Greek, let's say three L's. We have logos, we have life, and we have light. And those are three great things. But there's one more L that turns up in John 1. Let's go back there and read John 1, verse 29. And this begins to explain the heart of God. The word that's not there is love. That's an L word. But we have another word here. Let's look in John 1, picking it up in verse 29. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking, and now Jesus was his cousin. But John didn't know that's who he was, that he was the Son of God. Even as a baby, he'd left in the womb of his mother at the presence of Mary. And yet right now, he didn't know who Jesus really was. But the Holy Spirit showed him that this is the Lamb of God. And really, this is the message that I want us to take home. The message of the Lamb. That God has done something amazing for us, and He had this plan before He even made us. That in fact, somewhere before time, as God was conceiving, if that's how it works with God, the idea of what we are, of this whole universe, He understood there's only one way to make a people for myself. There's only one way to create beings that will last forever with me. And that's going to be through the sacrifice of myself. I'm going to have to give something up. Let's look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start in verse 17. 1 Peter 1:17. it says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. 
See, something we're going to keep coming back to this morning is simply before the creation, before God even began this, he'd made a decision. He understood what it would cost to save and redeem a people for himself. He knew that part of himself would have to come and be a sacrifice for us. Only then could we understand his plan of salvation the way that we can be saved. You know, how does sacrifice work? Let's just go back for a second to Leviticus chapter 4. Yeah, we are jumping a little. But we're coming in for a landing. Leviticus 4. Here we have teaching about the sin offering. And you can uh, read the whole chapter at your leisure. It goes into chapter 5 even. But I just want to make a point about what, the sin o- what happened with the sin offering. We'll start in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, then he needs to do this. Well, we'll pick it up. just for There's, there's actually different things that you need to do if you're a priest or if it's the whole community or if it's a leader. But pick it up in verse 27 because we are all this. If a member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, he is guilty. When he is made aware of his sin he committed, he must bring his, as his offering for the sin he committed a female goat without defect. He is to lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all the fat just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him, and he will be forgiven. Now, that's a statement. It says that this Jewish person could be forgiven. But a question, how can killing an animal forgive your sin? How can it happen? You know, a lot of us, we'd be, you know, Greenpeace would be after us if this is the way that, that we got forgiveness. Because, you know, every day we'd have to be offering some sacrifice. But that's not how it works. And, and if you read this carefully, you'll understand from other passages as well. It's not the blood of the sacrifice that forgives you. It's the state of your heart in the moment of sacrifice that is acceptable to God. And so God accepts the heart of the offerer when the offerer in obedience does what God has asked. And so though people offered sacrifices, sometimes it didn't forgive their sin because their hearts weren't there. And there were other times when there was no animal sacrifice, and yet God still forgave that person. Because forgiveness is a gift from God. If someone sinned unintentionally, it says, they needed to make a sacrifice. You might say, why why is it unintentional? Because many of the intentional sins require death, according to the old covenant. So, you know, if you committed adultery, the punishment was death in the Old Testament. Now, that would wake up a lot of people in our society. (laughs) If you killed someone else, your life was taken. Now, what we're saying from God's point of view, 
This is justice, not mercy. It's justice. When something is taken from someone else, when their life, etc., that is justice. But through offering a sacrifice, do you see? The, did you catch what happens? It says the one offering it puts his hand on the head of the animal and slaughters it. So when you went to make a sacrifice, you put your hand on the head of the animal and you felt the animal die as it was slaughtered. Now, I grew up on a farm, and so that doesn't really bother me a whole lot, but I can see a lot of you kind of going, ooh. But, you know, if you were a farmer and this was the firstborn of your flock and it was the best of your flock, you'd be looking at that going, wow. This is costing me something. And sometimes with the, like with the burnt offering, they would just burn the whole thing. Aren't you glad that our contribution isn't a burnt offering? Many of you, of course, would write checks if that was the case. But, you know, we, we make a sacrifice. And it's something real and it hurts. We feel it. But we have to understand something about sacrifice. I think we've read this so many times, we think sacrifice leads to forgiveness. That somehow sacrifice earns forgiveness. I have news for you. It's actually the other way around. Forgiveness requires sacrifice. We have a righteous God. And the only way that God can accept us is by sacrificing part of himself. The only way that he can accept sinners, and he will, and and he wants to. But we have to understand something. For a righteous God and a righteous judge to accept us in our sin, he must forgive us. And forgiveness is sacrifice. Can you earn forgiveness even from another person? Can you earn it? Because forgiveness means that what you did is no longer held in account. It's like what you did didn't exist anymore. And see, when it comes to forgiving each other, and I know that we do here, I know that we sin, and I know that we forgive each other, amen? That's why we're all still here. You know, the reason we've been gone for three and a half years, the reason many of you are still here is you've been forgiving each other. Some have left because they refuse to make that sacrifice of forgiving someone else. When God forgives us, he makes a sacrifice. See, it's important for us to understand this. Because God gave up something he's entitled to. And that's purity and righteousness from the creation that he's made. But he's also then given us a way back to him. You know, I used to think that Jesus' sacrifice was a little bit like the car of God's judgment, sort of out of control, was coming to me at a deadly speed. And I'm standing in the middle of the road, I can't get out of the way, and Jesus pushes me out of the way, and I fly to safety, and he takes the hit. And that's substitutional atonement right there. But you know the problem with that is? There's nothing to do with me there. Nothing to do with me. In other words, 
God does it all. God does the judging. God does the saving. And I'm just lucky. And it didn't cost me anything. Now, there's some truth in that picture. Because that is my salvation. But let me tell you another picture. How would you feel about this? The car of God's judgment's coming. Both Jesus and I are there. And I put him in front of me. So he'll take it. I put, not him pushing me out of the way. He says, would you like me to step in front? I have to answer that question. I have to ask him, yes. Now, I I thought about the idea of just pushing him, but that's not very polite. (laughs) But the picture is simply this, that we must accept the sacrifice that God made for us as if it was done with our own hands. Even though, in fact, the true sacrifice that saves us isn't ours. It's Jesus. Let's look at another scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I think this will kind of bring it all together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Second Timothy 1, verse 8. says, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to live a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus Before the beginning of time. Isn't that an interesting statement? Before the beginning of time, grace was given to us. Because when God, however that works, begot his son, it was an act of grace. Because that son had only one purpose, and that was to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. And so the action of the Word becoming flesh, of the Word was in God, this was a sacrifice from the beginning. And God gave up part of Himself for us. Look look what it says. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. Through the gospel. See, Jesus brought life and he brought light. But what we have to do, what we need to learn from the Old Testament, isn't just a substitution. Jesus, if you think about it in its entirety, Jesus didn't get our punishment on the cross. Now, he bore our sin. Our sin put him there. But our punishment's eternal separation from God. Jesus wasn't eternally separated from God on the cross. It's technically impossible. He was on the cross for about six hours. But see, what the cross is, it's a demonstration of God's grace. What the cross is, is the forgiveness of God becoming flesh. 
And you couldn't see it in that video clip, but it says he walked among us and they didn't recognize him. And it showed Jesus sort of walking through the crowds and he's walking and there's the people. No one's looking at him. No one's paying any attention to him. He's simply another man walking, even though he was the creator of the universe. And see, all of us in some way have ignored God. All of us in some way have ignored the good that God prompted our hearts to do. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way back is the sacrifice of Jesus. And the only way for that to have meaning in our lives is for us to accept the offering. We have to put our hands on Jesus and say, this was for me. See, Jesus died for everybody. He doesn't need to die again. It goes backwards in time, forward in time. But the thing that makes it work is that you accept it's for you. So people before Jesus were looking forward to him coming. Now we look back to his sacrifice, and in that we base our faith. Amen? Amen. Let's just close with one last passage in John 15. John 15. See, we have a God who, in creating us, the word that came to mind was love. But the word that came right behind it was sacrifice. I'm going to love these people. But this is going to cost me. Because to love them means I need to forgive them. And to forgive them means something in me will be denied. If there's one thing you see when you look at the cross of Jesus, it's injustice. But do you realize that mercy is injustice? Forgiveness is injustice. When you're forgiven, justice isn't done. And God's trying to convince us that he will forgive us. And how did he convince us? By allowing the worst injustice to ever happen, to happen on the cross. Where a completely innocent man, as innocent as a newborn child, was killed for telling the truth. He was accused of blasphemy while in fact he was telling the truth. Our sin put him to death. Look in John 15. We'll pick it up in verse 9. It said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, do you notice how many times he's talking about love here? It's like love, love, love. Because the whole reason this is here, guys, is love. God didn't need a fan club. And as impressed as we are by all those other things, his knowledge and his power and his abilities, what God wants us to be impressed with more than anything is his heart. That more important than anything else to him is us and our salvation. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. See, what Jesus is saying is, I've done everything required to be your friend. In fact, I'm about to show you the extent of my love. I am going to lay down my life for you, even though every one of you will deny me, and even one of you will betray me. I will do this for you. I have been a friend to you. Well, we need to be careful here. We just don't, again, sort of misread this. The only way to be Jesus' friend is to obey him. And then I deserve to be his friend. Then I earn it through my obedience. That's not what he's saying. You can't earn your friendship with God. Your friendship from God with God is a gift. But what we must do is accept it. The only people that are going to be saved are God's friends. That's it. Through all generations, all time, whatever, it's being a friend with God that counts. But see, being a friend with God isn't about everything that I've done for God. Being a friend with God is accepting what God has done for me. And so we come to the sacrifice, which we've already remembered today in the communion. We come to the sacrifice, and I I just wanted to explain one thought to you today. That is that God, before the beginning of everything, had only one purpose, and that was our salvation. That God, above other things, loves us so much that He was willing to send His Son to demonstrate that the forgiveness of God is a sacrifice on God's part. And so that is the message. That, the, that this sacrifice is for everyone. And we have been made just messengers of this good news. You know, we have an amazing God, don't we? And it's because of God we have the family that we have here. It's because of God we can forgive. And if there's anything that you've not forgiven someone else of today, go to them and forgive them. If we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. The proof of God's grace is graciousness in our own lives. So let's wrestle with this. You can't earn God's salvation. You can't earn it. But you need to fully accept His sacrifice. You need to be God's friend. Amen.